Hello and welcome to The Gold Podcast. I'm Helena Beer, the editor of Gold, and I'm once again delighted to be joined by my co-host and the assistant editor of Gold, Isabel O'Brien. How are you? Hello. Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, We're another week closer to publication of our December issue, so it's been great to see it all come together. Yes, it certainly has. So a little reminder to all our listeners that it will be published on the 8th of December this coming Thursday. So do look out for it. Um, Do you have an article you're most looking forward to sharing, Isabel? I think the one I'm most looking forward to this issue is going to be the cover feature. So it is a medical affairs special about the value that this function delivers, but also some of the challenges it faces in demonstrating that value. So I think it'll be a really relevant one for a lot of our readers. And yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing it. Yeah, definitely. I think that one will certainly go down very well with our readers. And I really enjoyed reading it as well. Um, I have to say the social determinants of health feature is another one that I'm really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. It's all about the the postcode health lottery and how pharma can support the tackling of health inequalities. So yeah, another really interesting one there. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, shall we get on with the episode today? Indeed. What's coming up this week? So we're excited to share a teaser of our interview with Gold's Next Catalyst, John Warber, medical head of the global digital hub at GSK. Indeed. So Gold's content executive Jade Williams caught up with John last month to chat through all things medical affairs. And as Helena said, we are very excited to share some of that conversation with you today. John talks about his role in medical affairs, including his ambitions for omnichannel engagement and further digitization of the MSL role, amongst some other really interesting topics. It's a really great interview. Yes, and all that to look forward to. But first, it is time to look back at the past week in news you might have missed. So, Isabel, where should we start? Well, a story that caught my eye this week was actually the authorisation of a lupus nephritis treatment by the MHRA right here in the UK. So the body authorised Lupkinus, brought to market by the Japanese company Otsuka, for use in adult patients with actus lupus nephritis, which is otherwise known as LN. And if you don't know much about this condition, this is actually a severe manifestation of systemic lupus erythematosus, which is known as SLE, and is a chronic and debilitating autoimmune disease, which can cause irreversible kidney damage. The approval was made based on positive phase three trial results. Yes, and I believe this is a huge milestone for the LN community as it is the first and only oral calcineurin inhibitor licensed for use in the UK. The Japanese drug maker has already won approval for the drug from the European Commission and the FDA, so it's great to see access being granted over there as well. Indeed, a very positive development for people with this severe form of lupus in the UK. And if you are interested in learning more about the Japanese drug market, we have actually just published a brand new article called Pharma in Japan, another in our Pharma In series. We'll leave it in the show notes if you want to check it out. Indeed, we will. This week also saw the ABPI respond to an urgent call to boost trade for the UK's life sciences. On the 28th of November, the UK Board of Trade published a report presenting opportunities within the UK life sciences sector and how trade and investment solutions could address global challenges. Speaking about the report, Executive Director of International Policy at the ABPI, Claire Mackin, noted that the report captures worrying signs that we may be falling behind our global competitors. 
Yes, and this is particularly evident in the UK's fall from fourth to 98th place in overall trade balance for pharmaceuticals since 2010. And lastly, expanding their horizons, AstraZeneca has shared plans to acquire Neogene Therapeutics. The acquisition will provide the pharma giant with access to next-generation T-cell receptor therapies that have the potential to target solid tumours. Neogene's expertise in TCRT production will also strengthen AstraZeneca's goal to transform outcomes for patients. Nice to end on a positive story. Now it's time to hear from John Warber, Medical Head of the Global Digital Hub at GSK. By way of introduction, John is a former medic who trained at Imperial College London before joining Pharma in 2016. He made the jump after undertaking a PhD in CAR T-cell therapy, which inspired him to look for new challenges and opportunities beyond medicine. He joined Vive Healthcare in 2021 as their Global Medical Affairs Director of Digital and Communications before moving over to GSK earlier this year. In his current role, John oversees Vive's digital medical strategy with a particular focus on Omnichannel. Yes, he has lots of insights to share, so without further ado, we'll hand over to Jade for the interview and we join their conversation as Jade asks John about his reasons for joining Pharma. What motivated your move from medicine into the pharmaceutical industry? So I qualified in 2010 and then I sort of moved into pharma in 2016. So I wouldn't say I've had a long career in, in medicine. You know, after I, after I qualified, I got a, tra- a run through training position as a in obstetrics and gynecology. So that was the field that, uh, you know, I was passionate about and, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to sort of become a consultant and operate. I love operating. But then during my training, I took uh, I took time out to do some research. Uh, so I did a PhD in CAR T cell therapy. And during my time during the during, during the PhD, uh, the PhD gives you lots of transferable skills, and you, be, you you learn to become independent, problem solve, which is something that I'm, I'm you know really passionate about. Uh, it made me realize that I've got lots of skills that. Back then in the NHS uh, or as a medic, I wasn't going to be able to sort of leverage or, or use when I go back to training. And I really wanted to see, you know, how else can I make a difference and how else can I use those skills uh, for the better? Um, so I started looking around and, uh, you know, pharma was one of the um, options. So I connected with several people to, to understand about the career path. Um, I was actually approached about my first role in pharma via via LinkedIn, uh, and because it was a role in women's health, which was also very close to my heart, very close to the specialty that I was training in. But really, you know, one of the things that motivated me to go into medicine in the first place is that is, is wanting to help people. Um, and for me, a career in pharma enables you to do that, you know, a thousandfold, a hundred or a thousandfold, because you're, you're you know you're able to support healthcare professionals with their decisions. But actually, the impact that you're making is not affecting one small group of patients. It's affecting much wider uh, group of patients. So you're actually able to make a, a much bigger impact in, in your role. Yeah, for sure. You're real change makers in that sense. Really? So are there any lessons that you still hold close to your heart from your time in the medical field? I know obviously you didn't spend a long time there, but was there any key moment that stands out to you? Um, so I think for me, there are sort of three lessons which are very 
very close to my heart. Um, again, things that I utilize also now in my in my in my role in pharma. Um, the first one is, uh, you know, being appreciative of different people's perspectives. So in, you know, in, in, in medicine, we work as medics, we work in multidisciplinary teams where you've got input from different uh, subject matter experts, different stakeholders, patient therapists, physiotherapists, social workers, uh, nurses, psychologists. Um, and it's important. What, what that taught me is the, you know, the value that everyone brings in uh, and it's important to appreciate, respect and listen to people because um, no one, no one should profess to know everything and it's important to make sure that you take other people's perspectives into account when making decisions. Um, the second thing is thinking outside the box. So, you know, as a medic, when you're working, when you're on call, you're faced with problems sometimes where there isn't a straightforward answer or there isn't a straightforward solution. Uh, sometimes the most obvious solution is not is not the answer. And for me, that why that is relevant in pharma is it's it's important to, to, to act as an enabler as a medic in, in, in pharma and to be solution oriented. It's important to come up with solutions rather than being a blocker and saying, OK, well, you can't do it like this because of so and so. But how about trying this other solution or, you know, approaching it in a different way? And then the third thing is about, uh, you know, integrity and uh, standing up for what's right. Uh, obviously, in, in, in medicine, doctors have to have high integrity, high sort of uh, ethical standards. And similarly, in pharma, you know, you are the advocate for patients and you have to stand up for what's right. Uh, sometimes you might become the most unpopular person in the room. But it's important to give your opinion, give your perspective and say why you're giving this perspective. But it's important to step back and I've learned how to compromise. Right. So, you know, I've said my piece. I've said why something shouldn't be done in that way. I've made suggestions and it's important to have healthy discussions. Um, so, you know, arguments are, are good uh, and it's uh, sometimes it actually leads to a better outcome. For sure. If there's an argument, it means that there's something worth fighting for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're all passionate and we all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I do love it when there are uh, when there are disagreements, actually, because it means that people are actively thinking and engaging and mm -hmm. they are providing their perspective. The last thing you want is everyone saying, yes, yes, we agree. Yeah. And um, sometimes that's that's also not not great. Mm, for sure. So my next question, this comes from, we obviously attend quite a few conferences and I feel like a lot of people at these, it's said in lots of medical affairs talk over and over that the field is sort of lagging behind when it comes to achieving omnichannel optimization. So why do you think that is and do you have any sort of solutions? Let me start by saying that I think medical has come a long way in such a short space of time when it comes to sort of digital transformation and, and omnichannel. Um, I think definitely the, the, the pandemic has sort of uh, accelerated a lot of efforts on, on, on medical side uh, because we know that, you know, HCPs, lots of stakeholders, they want to engage with medical, they want to understand the data, they want to understand the science. Uh, and so, medical had to really look hard aside and, and 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 sort of see how do how can we actually ensure that we can con continue the engagement where access was sort of limited because of the um of the of the pandemic um in terms of 
Yes, I, I do agree that medical is slightly lagging behind. Obviously, our commercial colleagues have, um, this is sort of their bread and butter, right? This is what they've been doing. They've done lots of great learnings, but that's traditionally, it's always been commercial is doing omnichannel, medical is doing scientific engagement, and it's important for medical to go out and, 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 and see customers. I think what's important to re recognize now is actually that medical expertise, those medical insights are key to shape that omnichannel uh, initiative or plan or uh, strategy for the for, for the organization. And so it shouldn't be siloed. It ha medical has to be working very closely with commercial and the other stakeholders to um, execute, to plan and execute that, that, that strategy. We need, we need to now start thinking about how do those medical user journeys integrate with the commercial user journeys? Because ultimately you're seeing the same customer, the same healthcare professional. Um, and to the healthcare professional, a lot of them don't differentiate between commercial and medical. Some do, the majority don't. And it's important to make sure we have um, sort of one harmonious sort of approach to working or to engaging with those healthcare professionals. Um, the other thing is medical, traditionally has been brought in quite late when it comes to omnichannel and usually the role has been can you approve this content uh, can you approve this user journey can you uh, approve this way of engagement and actually medical needs to be coming right at the beginning coming in right at the beginning of this be sitting around the table when the planning is happening uh, and not just being seen as people who will just approve the content because that's not what medical's role should be they are as I mentioned they're the USP is all the great insights that they're providing, which can help shape the uh, the omni-channel journey and the and the and the customer journey. So for me, when it comes to omni-channel and digital transformation, I think what's important medical is to have a strategy in place, to have a road plan of what is it we are trying to achieve, how can digital support us in achieving this? What are our medical priorities? What are our medical uh, deliverables, what's our value proposition, and how can digital support us? Digital may not be the answer for everything, but where you do have uh, sort of digital tools that can support, it's important to see how they can be leveraged. And really, it's not about boiling the ocean, it's about starting small and then building. If we're talking about omnichannel specifically, select you know one or two channels, select one or two customer segments, uh, create your user journey uh, in one, maybe one country, one LOC, where you can test it, uh, you can get some learns, which can then be shared across the organization. Do you have any ways in which MSL teams specifically can embrace digital transformation as we move into this digital world? I think um, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, I really hope that the word digital just drops off eventually because yeah. it is the world that we're living in now. There shouldn't be any differentiation between it. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say digital has now become a, a, so it's a way of life now, right? It's it's no longer a, uh, a commodity or no longer something uh, that we would just add on into our plans. We are all engaging digitally. Everyone is doing digital. It's just now about in, ensuring that there is thought behind the process, i.e., you know, the strategy that I talked about earlier. Um, and I truly believe that our MSLs can be 
can can truly sort of orchestrate this omnichannel that piece that we were talking about. They are best placed to engage with the uh, healthcare professionals, the key opinion leaders. Um, they know the, the 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 KOLs very well. They understand when is the best time to contact them. They understand who their connections are. Um, so it's important to make sure that we're not, you know, we're, we're not giving the MSL something new. They 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 are already doing this, but what we're what we're giving them are tools to enable them to do this more effectively and more efficiently. I think people sometimes when you talk about digital transformation and digital in general, they get scared because a lot of digital stuff in the in the past hasn't worked or digital is sort of usually associated with, uh, you know, this is additional work, uh, you know, we don't have time to be doing this, but it's important to, again, with the mindset shift that is required for them to realize that we're not asking them to do anything additional. Uh, what we're trying to do is providing them with the right tools in order to continue doing what they're already doing really well. Um, and But what's important is we need their input into making sure those tools are fit for purpose. Right, so we don't want to be developing something at the global level with no input from our MSLs and then suddenly say to our MSLs, here you go, use this. Uh, a lot of them will, you know, some of this will not be valuable for them or will not resonate or not work with their HCPs. And that also helps them hold some accountability, right? So they feel part of the process and they feel like they've contributed to this. And ultimately, you want to produce something that helps them uh, achieve their, their, their goals. Yeah, for sure. Help them help others. And that is all we have time for. Thank you so much to John for sharing his insights and thanks to you for listening. Yes, a nice note to end on, I think. And if you did enjoy that conversation and are eager to read the full interview, then it will be out in the magazine in a couple of days on the 8th of December. Indeed it will. So do subscribe for free at emg-gold.com to receive the brand new issue directly into your inboxes on publication day. The new issue contains insights from not one but two pharma events, including FT Live's Global Pharma and Biotech Summit, as well as a whole host of exciting content from the team. So there will be lots to get stuck into. We certainly hope so. And in the meantime, do remember to rate, review and subscribe to The Gold Podcast if you haven't already. But for now, it's bye from us. See you next week. Mm-hmm.